Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly, Building Bridges. The president heads to the key battleground state of Wisconsin to announce a $5 billion investment in infrastructure. We have the latest. Switching gears. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell changes his stance on Ukraine funding and a border deal, sending negotiations into a tailspin. We're on Capitol Hill. Ohio override. State lawmakers ban gender-affirming care for minors despite the governor's veto of the bill. We have reaction. And speaking the truth in the face of adversity. Gallic journalists from all around the world travel to Lourdes to discuss the role of reporters in a time of upheaval. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. Our top story tonight, President Joe Biden travels to Wisconsin touting his infrastructure bill, $1 billion allocated to fixing up a deteriorating bridge at the tip of Lake Superior. But his Republican rival, former President Donald Trump, is not impressed. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen? Tracy, the president traveled to Superior, Wisconsin. It was not officially a campaign event, but rest assured, the Badger State is a swing state. The trip also comes as the government reports the U.S. economy had a strong fourth quarter, even as consumers pay more for stuff. President Joe Biden in northwestern Wisconsin announcing money to upgrade and repair the John A. Blotnick Memorial Bridge that sees 33,000 vehicles travel on it daily. It's a vital link of our nation's economy. Heavy trucks, however, barred from the bridge. But you also know this bridge is in badly corroded condition. It's unsafe. The president trying to build a bridge to voters, too, hoping his Bidenomics and investing in America agenda will connect at the polls. That's our economic plan. Invest in America. Invest in American products. Build in America. That's what we call Bidenomics. Democratic leaders in Wisconsin have stressed the importance of Biden visiting the state. But Make America Great Again, Inc. is blasting Biden over his Wisconsin trip, saying he's there to mislead voters yet again about the devastating effects of Bidenomics on hardworking Americans. But they won't be fooled. The harsh reality of Bidenomics is all too clear every time Wisconsinites go to the gas station, the grocery store, or try to heat their homes and businesses. Other critics tearing into Bidenomics as well. I'd say uh, none of the decisions that they have made have helped advance American oil and gas. Mike Summers from the American Petroleum Institute spoke to us earlier this month about the president's policies, and he just warned this week that Biden's plan to disrupt the development of U.S. LNG terminals would be a win for Russia and a loss for American allies, because U.S. LNG is critical for helping Europe replace Russian gas. And please, whatever you do, don't stop a liquefied natural gas export from the Louisiana Gulf Coast and the Texas Gulf Coast, because all that does is hurt the environment and hurt our allies. And separately tonight, Nigeria. Nearly 200 Christians were killed there over Christmas. And I asked about it today at the State Department. Does the State Department believe Christians are being persecuted in Nigeria? We are uh, paying attention and assessing the religious freedom circumstances in uh, countries around the world, including, of course, uh, Nigeria, and that uh, work will continue. Now, in a follow-up letter, the State Department told me, we remain deeply concerned about the ongoing violence and insecurity impacting communities 
of all religions and beliefs in Nigeria, including Christians and Muslims, adding, it's engaging with Nigeria on ways to increase security and protect religious freedom. But religious advocacy groups are demanding the U.S. do more. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Our former President Donald Trump took the stand in his own defense in the E. Jean Carroll defamation trial for a total of three minutes. And in that time, he defied the judge's limits on what he could say in his testimony by claiming that Carroll's sexual assault allegations were a false accusation. The writer says Trump ruined her reputation after she accused him of sexually abusing her back in the mid-1990s. A jury last year agreed this trial will decide how much money the former president will pay in damages. And in a D.C. courtroom today where a judge sentenced a former Trump administration official to four months behind bars. Peter Navarro was convicted of contempt of Congress for refusing to cooperate with a congressional investigation into the January 6th attack on the Capitol. The judge overseeing the case tore into Navarro for claiming that his prosecution was politically motivated. Navarro is appealing the decision. Former President Donald Trump's push to kill an immigration border policy deal is now forcing Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to suggest a new course of action which could endanger aid to Ukraine and to Israel. The move is frustrating some lawmakers in his own party. I think, I think the border is a very important issue for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and the fact that he would communicate to uh, Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame uh, Biden for it is, uh, is really appalling. GOP sources tell EWTN News Nightly McConnell told Republicans in a private meeting that they are in a quandary. Just a few days ago, McConnell was urging passage of a foreign aid deal for Ukraine and Israel that was tied to new border policies. It is unclear if Congress will have to punt on the issue of more aid to Ukraine and Israel or break up the package into pieces. Now to that GOP lawmakers on the Hill believe it is just a matter of time before former President Donald Trump is officially the nominee. Should former Governor Nikki Haley end her campaign? Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales checked the pulse of lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. Good evening. News from Nikki Haley's camp is still upbeat after her second place finish in the New Hampshire primary. Her campaign raised more than a million dollars since then. However, up here on Capitol Hill, lawmakers are painting a much different picture. Republican Senator J.D. Vance tells me if Haley believed New Hampshire was her best state, she still lost by double digits by 12 points. So what's going to happen here is that we're going to spend another 30, 50, maybe $100 million attacking Donald Trump, who will be our nominee, weakening him in the process, not spending that money on Senate candidates who are running in tough states like Ohio, not spending that money on preserving the, the, the uh, U.S. House majority. Others agree. I think it's time for Republicans to unite. I mean, listen, he's going to be the nominee. This is, this is 100% clear. It's been clear for a long time, but now voters have weighed in officially. They've given their support to him in very big numbers. Even Democrats acknowledge it's a race between President Biden and former President Trump. She's been a roadkill for, I mean, like, why are we still, why are, why are we covering him? You know, I don't understand that. Uh, I don't understand that any of them um, 
you know, Ramaswamy or Phillips on our side. Like, it's it's been about Biden and Trump, and it always has been. Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia, whose Commonwealth helped elect Joe Biden in 2020, tells me the president is in good shape. He was in Virginia yesterday, I guess, for sort of what you would call maybe the initial campaign kickoff event in Virginia. Very enthusiastic reception. So, you know, it's going to be a it's going to be an intense year. Haley continues to say the race is far from over and there are dozens of states left to go. And the campaign now moves to her home state of South Carolina, a state President Trump won in 2020. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. Members of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops are praising lawmakers for a bipartisan plan to enhance the child tax credit. If approved, it could lift as many as a half a million kids out of poverty. That is according to an estimate from the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. Under the current plan, parents can get up to a $2,000 tax credit per child under the age of 17. While it reduces your taxes dollar for dollar, only 1600 is refundable. It's available to single filers making less than $200,000 a year and joint filers under 400000 Under the proposed changes, people can still receive a $2,000 tax credit, but the cap adjusts annually for inflation. So for 2023, that could mean $1,800. In 2024, $1,900. And in 2025, $2,000. Let's bring in Archbishop Boris Gutsiak of the Ukrainian Archeparchy of Philadelphia. He is chairman of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Domestic Justice and Human Development. Your Excellency, thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. I know you said in a statement the proposed modification to the tax credit makes meaningful progress toward helping low-income families. Can you talk to us more about that and how you think it will help? Well... Uh, we're addressing this issue of child poverty uh, at a time of, of big challenges. In 2022, child the child poverty rate in the U.S. more than doubled, rising from 5.2% to 12.4%. Imagine that uh, one out of nine children in, 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 in the U.S. lives in poverty. And this this rise was partly due to the expiration of the expanded child tax credit that was fully available to the poorest children and had lifted 2.1 million children out of poverty. And when that expansion expired, millions of families lost their financial stability and child poverty soared. So um, that's basically this, this provision uh, that was supported by the House Ways and Means Committee, overwhelmingly 40 to 3, and, and now is working its way through Senate committees. Um, it is pro-life, it is pro-family, and it uh, is a way in which we Catholics and we, we citizens can uh, follow the example of Jesus who makes a preferential option for the poor. And how do you see it helping those in your community in Philadelphia? Well, um, our community, uh, the Ukrainian Catholic community, is a community that is uh, bolstered by 300,000 uh, refugee immigrants that arrived in the last two years. 300,000 are those in, in the whole country. Many of them, you know, are, are working in um, getting getting jobs um, 
I must say, uh, much of our community is is self-sufficient, but uh, there are those on the margins. I can't give uh, an exact sociology, whether it reflects the general uh, sociology, uh, but within the Ukrainian Catholic community, there are those who are in need. I want to talk about Ukraine now. Uh, U.S. funding for Ukraine is stuck in Congress as lawmakers try to come up with a deal there. Uh, and of course, you're in Ukraine right now. Talk to us about why this funding is so important. People here are giving everything to defend democracy, freedom of religion, uh, the Catholic Church, um, freedom for um, of the press. And it's a bulwark against this rising totalitarianism. Uh, China is thinking twice about um, uh, violence against Taiwan because Ukrainians are standing up. Um, NATO has gotten stronger because Ukrainians took a stand. There is much more unity among democracies because Ukraine stand. It needs a little help. It needs the kind of help that Americans understand and are generous with. And I thank all Americans for the prayer, the advocacy, and the generosity uh, that you have shown. And I'm very confident that Americans will continue to support uh, Ukrainians who are giving it all for God's truth. Well, Your Excellency, thank you for being with us today and sharing your insights. We really appreciate it. God bless you. God bless all of you. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is calling on federal agencies to crack down on Zinn nicotine pouches. The New York Democrat says the product is being targeted on social media to teens and will be the next trend in addiction. The Senate Health Committee says the product, which is often marketed as a safe alternative to smoking, needs to be regulated. At this point, they're advertising anywhere they want, pretty much. If it's addictive to kids, that's probably not a good idea. So, yeah, I think it's appropriate that we look at it. Senator Schumer has asked the Food and Drug Administration and the Federal Trade Commission to take action on Zinn's marketing practices and possible health effects. In a statement, Zinn's manufacturer says the company exceeds U.S. regulations, saying in part, quote, our marketing practices, which prohibit the use of social media influencers, are focused on preventing underage access and set the benchmark for the industry. Senator Schumer will call for hearings to be held on how to regulate the nicotine product. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including Catholic response. Faith leaders respond to assisted suicide bills in two U.S. states. And reaction from a Christian advocacy group after Ohio passes a bill aimed at protecting minors. Church and pro-life leaders are calling on the faithful in two U.S. states to push back against proposals to legalize assisted suicide. Lawmakers in Massachusetts and New York are set to consider the measures in the 2024 legislative sessions. Cardinal Sean O'Malley, the head of the Archdiocese of Boston, recently gave his reaction to our Sunday visitor, saying, quote, a society that allows parents to kill their children will eventually allow children to kill their parents.
Our reaction is pouring into Ohio after lawmakers there overrode the governor's veto of a ban on gender surgeries for minors. The ACLU of Ohio said the override of the veto was, quote, a shameful legislative act. We will do everything we can to fight this. Aaron Baer, the president of the Center for Christian Virtue, applauded the override, saying in part, quote, no child is born in the wrong body, no matter what powerful and well-funded lobbyists say. And Aaron Baer, president of the Center for Christian Virtue, joins us. Now, Aaron, great to be with you. First off, I know you said that this marks, quote, a turning point for Ohio. What did you mean by that? You know, really, it's been about six years now that this issue has come to the forefront in Ohio. It was actually started down in Cincinnati when a, a Catholic family came forward and said that Cincinnati Children's Hospital was threatening to take their child away from them because they wouldn't consent to putting her on high-dose testosterone. From that point forward, so many Christians were stepping up and advocating, saying, we have to stop this. And this was a groundswell that got us to the place, not just to pass it, but then to override a veto. It's such a powerful message that we're going to let, not let our, our uh, kids be experimented on anymore in Ohio. Yeah, were you surprised uh, that the state Senate overrode the governor's veto? And what's been the reaction so far in the state to this? You know, really, we weren't surprised by the by the uh, veto override. It was the veto that really surprised us in the first place, because the reality is this bill has broad support. I mean, you look at the polling on there, 70 percent of folks don't think boys should be playing in girls sports. You know, stopping trans medicine on kids is about as equally as popular. Uh, and so when the veto came, there was such a groundswell, such such a, an outcry against it uh, that we felt really confident that this was going to happen. And we were going to be able to celebrate today that kids are protected. Yeah, and Governor DeWine said, um, you know, when he vetoed, vetoed this bill, HB 68, it was because it, it was about, quote, protecting human life. Take us through what happened from that time uh, when he vetoed it and also yesterday's override. I mean, do you think there is a blueprint for other states when it comes to this? Absolutely. You know, really, Governor DeWine was relying on junk science being pushed by children's hospitals that have a massive profit motive to be able to sterilize kids. Uh, the reality is we see these suicide rates starting to skyrocket when these gender clinics start. I mean, the, the puberty blocking drug alone, one of the listed side effects is suicide ideation. It's crazy to believe their lies on this. And that's really what we see the groundswell happening all over the country. You know, Senator Christina Rogner gave a floor speech and, and put it so uh, simply that boys are boys and girls are girls. And we don't don't need to be afraid to proclaim that. And when we can start speaking that simple truth, that's where this is going to spread across the nation. Aaron, um, as we said, the ACLU, and as you know, says they're going to continue to fight this. What do you think comes next? I mean, do you think this is going to end up in court? Yeah, you know, what we will see, the reality is the uh, state of Tennessee passed a very similar bill, and the Sixth Circuit upheld it. Now, other circuits have, have struck down similar bills, but Ohio is in the Sixth Circuit. So if the ACLU wants to bring a lawsuit, you know, our, our attorney general here, Dave Yost, has already basically said, bring it on. I'm going to defend this because it's the right thing to do. And no, no parent has the right to abuse their child with these sterilizing drugs. And so we're ready to fight on that hill. But our hope is that the ACLU just leaves kids alone uh, and lets this law go, go into effect. Almost out of time, but quickly, I do want to ask you this. We know that Ohio is a pivotal state in the race for the White House. How is the pro-life movement and the battle against gender ideology, how is it going in Ohio? And how do you see this all playing out in the 2024 election? You know, really, Ohio has elected people like J.D. Vance and has really come behind President Trump uh, multiple times now. 
because we're just we just need common sense, right? I think that was a, the reason a lot of folks misread why uh, President Trump had so much support here, is because he spoke plainly and about common sense issues, and this is one of those. And so, anybody that wants to win Ohio has got to learn that lesson. We're going to leave right there. Aaron, great to be with you. Thank you so much for your insights. Appreciate it. God bless. Thank you. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, global uproar. An outspoken cardinal weighs in on the Vatican document on same-sex blessings. Plus, how Catholic journalists are finding inspiration at Lourdes. Six nuns who were kidnapped in Haiti have been released. However, it is not clear what led to the sisters from the St. Anne congregation to be set free. Kidnappers initially demanded a ransom of $3 million. One church leader says the abductions will not shake the faith of the people of Haiti. Hong Kong Cardinal Joseph Zen says the Vatican's recent document on same-sex blessings, quote, creates confusion. The 91-year-old says the Vatican's recent document leaves many questions unanswered and that the secular media intentionally added to the confusion. He even suggested that the author of the document, Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, should resign or be dismissed. Around 250 Catholic journalists have gathered in Lourdes. It is part of the Feast of St. Francis de Sales. And while in France, they are discussing the threats to faith-based journalists from all over the globe. EWTN Vatican Bureau Chief Andreas Tonhauser has more. There are many journalists who face imprisonment or even uh, legal cases. Even our own newsroom has its own uh, cases. Speaking the truth in the face of danger and oppression, Catholic journalists from across the globe have gathered at the Shrine of Our Lady in Lourdes at the foot of the French Pyrenees Mountains to discuss the role of Christian journalism in times of upheaval. Co-organized by the Vatican's Communications Department, the 27th edition of the St. Francis de Sales Congress focuses on Catholic journalism and the mission to speak the truth, even when people don't want to see or listen. It is important to have uh, exchanges of ideas uh, and to create a network that is very, very important for us, for the Dicastery for Communication, to promote, not to be the leader, but to promote uh, space and opportunities to create a network uh, between journalists of different uh, uh, output, uh, different media outlets, so radio, newspapers, televisions like the WTN. The conference kicked off with an emphasis on journalism in war-torn places across the globe. Journalists face hostility and oppression, especially when they report on terror and crimes. In Nigeria, violent attacks at the hands of terrorist groups such as Boko Haram or the Fulani herdsmen can pose many risks. And because Catholics and Christians are targeted, invariably the journalists are also part of those who are targeted. Two years ago, a Catholic priest, a friend I know, Father Chitunum was war on the people who were massacred in his rectory by these herdsmen. So it's affecting the media. So a lot of the media now can, they can't go out to do their job for fear of kidnapping, for fear of uh, massacre. Also in the Philippines, Christians have come under attack. One recent tragedy, the bombing of a Catholic mass in December last year, has sparked particular concern. Also the digital space is becoming increasingly hostile. We continue to be under attack because... Uh, you know, social media is a place where many trolls abound and uh, sometimes when we report on something that is not favorable to government, we receive 
uh, online attacks. The three-day conference here in Lourdes started yesterday on the feast day of St. Francis de Sales, who of course is also the patron saint of journalists. Pope Francis said yesterday that it's very important to keep being journalists and seeking to report the truth. In his message for the World Day of Social Communication, he commented on the ongoing wars in Europe and the Holy Land. He encouraged media to continue to report from these regions because only direct and personal contact will enable us to grasp the absurdity of war. In Lourdes, Andreas Tonhauser, EWTN News Nightly. Our finally tonight, as mentioned earlier, this is the feast of the conversion of St. Paul. Today, Pope Francis says it is a reminder to avoid the trap set by the devil of trying to divide the faithful. And a Vesper service to close the week of prayer for Christian unity. The Holy Father says division never comes from God, adding that agreement among faiths is a sacred responsibility because it means being in communion with the Lord who above all prayed for unity. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.